And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on contract extension, deadline day, and the eve of the 2022-2023 NBA season, which promises to be perhaps the most wide-open NBA season in recent memory. We had a proverbial flurry of last-minute contract extensions. Quick reviews. Brandon Clark, four years, $52 million. Thumbs up for everybody. Kevin Porter Jr., four years, kind of, 80-ish million with all sorts of guarantee triggers and stuff. Fine for both. Good risk, good reward. Tyler Hero, four years, $120 million plus bonuses. That's just the going rate for really good players. Nasir Little, four years, $28 million, an absolute steal for the Blazers. Bravo to their front office on that one. And then the headliners, the Golden State Warriors, Jordan Poole, four years, 123 plus bonuses, just beating out the Tyler Hero one. Going rate for good players. It sounds expensive. That's just what it is. Four years, $109 million with a player option in year four for Andrew Wiggins, a deal that frankly surprised me. Uh, I thought he would and could get more, but some players value happiness and certainty, and Andrew Wiggins has not known a lot of either in Minnesota before coming to the Warriors. And that, of course, sets the stage along with the Draymond Green-Jordan Poole incident for a potential last dance season in Golden State with Draymond Green entering the final locked-in year of his contract. The lone, other than Klay Thompson, if you count him, he's got he's a couple years still on his deal. The lone one to not get a new contract of all the core guys. They are the defending champions. They are a historically great team and a historically great trio. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green. So what happens to them matters. To help us preview the Warriors and the entire season, the best in the business, the one and only, Jeff Van Gundy. It's been a long time. How are you, sir? Doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm, I feel refreshed and ready. Yeah, I. it seems early. You know, like when they moved the start date up to mid-October, I was like, it used to be like the last week of October. This feels a little early, but, you know, with the play-in game and, trying to give more days, uh, less back-to-backs. You know, they've moved it up. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to roll. I still would like – I still think of opening day more as November 1st than I do October 18th. Like you haven't even picked out your Halloween costume maybe right now. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know about you. Never a big Halloween guy. Uh, now we've we've talked about this. You've said you're never a big Halloween guy, but you were shocked and appalled by Brian Windhorst's stance on turning down the blinds and the lights and being oh, anti trick or treater. Come on, that's that's un-American. Like your house deserves to get egged if you refuse when home to give out treats. I'll, I had a conversation about egging recently. In my stance as a homeowner, a relatively new homeowner, is if you as children can outwit me, as long as it doesn't do any damage to my home, I applaud. If you can ding dong ditch me, toilet paper my trees, do something without me catching you, but, but I will try to catch you. Not to yell or ream you out or get you in trouble, but just to let you know that I was quicker than you, that I was smarter than you. I will try to play the cat and mouse game. See, Texas is a big 
uh, toilet paper thing. And I tell you, there is nothing. I, I'm, I think you should be able to catch and just obliterate a child if he throws toilet paper up in trees that you can't reach. So, like, I'm against it. No, there's no, like, I ding dong ditch, all that, all fair game. But if it's costing me work, and especially when it gets wet, no. I'm, I'll just, I'm, I'm I'll against just, it. My last Halloween take is I'm, I got no costume ideas and I'm contemplating going full circle. My first ever Halloween costume back-to-back years as a kid was the Count, Count Von Count from Sesame Street. And as I've grown older, I've felt that the Sesame Street character that best represents my personality is Oscar the Grouch. And there's a nice Oscar the Grouch costume complete with fake trash can for about 80 bucks. I'm thinking of springing for that. Okay, Coach, you've seen a lot. You were on the New York Knicks teams of the 1990s as an assistant and then a head coach where just a lot happened. What was your reaction when you saw the video of Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole? Yeah, I. when you read about an altercation, it's much different than seeing it. Some get overblown, and then others are underblown. And so I thought it was much worse when you saw it uh, than I expected it to be. And and I've said this uh, a couple times. The thing that a little bit annoys me is that people, and even some players from yesteryear, act like this is regular business or it's reported as regular. This is what happens, you know. No, it doesn't, at least in my experiences, not even a little bit. And especially between players of such different sizes the two i've seen one was on a plane and one was in practice both were got like you know there was a push then there was a backing up period where both guys got their hands up and they were able to protect themselves then they threw a couple punches it was broken up quickly and then it you know moved on but they were two guys of similar size i have not seen uh, a, a teammate fight where it was a big guy and a small guy and the big guy swung on the small guy i've never seen that before in my experiences was the practice one you allude to the much written about xavier mcdaniel anthony mason at training camp yeah yeah and it was uh the first drill of the first (laughs) practice And it was a rebounding blockout drill. Dick Carter and I had the guards uh, at one end, and Paul Silas and uh, Coach Riley had the the bigs at the other end. And, you know, if you've ever been with guards, guards are sort of going through rebounding drills, and they're sort of, you know, I won't go too hard if you won't go too hard, right? And so they're preserving each other's body. At the other end, though, and, and as coaches – all I could do was hear because I was working with the guards. You're hearing these. It, it, it felt like Brahma bulls were banging into each other. And then all of a sudden, you know, the it was on. And, you know, it only lasted a few seconds. But I think it was the, you know, it set a tone for how nasty and aggressive we were. 
And again, that was, um, you know, that was a like, that was a physical, physical team. And um, we had a lot of guys, we had young guys trying to carve out a career and we had older guys who knew that their time was winding down. So yeah, it was very interesting. Now you go through that roster of guys at that end, Xavier and McDaniel and Anthony Mason. Okay. We know what those guys are. If people are not familiar with Paul Silas, I might want to fight him less than the players involved. Paul Silas is and was as tough as they come. And Riley from Schenectady, he might be the smallest of them, but you know he's going to pull out every dirty trick possible. Like if the, if I have to pick someone to fight out of those four guys, I'm not I think I'm just picking I take all my money, take all my lunch money, take whatever you know, I I got no good choice. Well, he had some bullies at that end. You know, Oakley was down there. Ewing, I forgot who else we had. Uh, Anthony Bonner might have been down there. Like, we had straight, like, um, you know, we had some dudes now. Now, Bonner, he would have come later. I'm sorry. But anyway, yeah, it was uh, – but again, as respectful of a, of a fight as you could have in that there was no – it wasn't somebody swinging on somebody from behind – there's no cheap shots, you know. Now I'm just glad for both guys, for <laughs> that it didn't go very long because well, you know they could you can do damage to each other. That's what I think is getting. Just because Green and Pool were both lucky in that outcome doesn't mitigate or negate the the damage that could have happened. Uh, phys- I mean, like literally physically. Uh, one being injured and one causing the injury, like it, it's nothing to, it's nothing to, um, it's easy to laugh when you know the result, like of what we're talking about. But we've seen Rudy Tomjanovich and Kermit Washington. You know, we we saw Miritich get his jaw broken by Portis. Like these can have lasting uh, effects on people and their careers, and it's nothing to, it's nothing to. To joke about oh they are so lucky that jordan Poole is not injured all of them everybody with the team and from what i've heard talking to people this this iciness that you see in the media comments from Poole saying you know we're professionals i'll leave it at that from steve kerr calling it the biggest crisis they've faced from kevon looney saying draymond's gonna have to earn our trust if anything, I think that may be underplaying the level of iciness and tension that they're navigating right now. And I, and, and I ask, and, and that's not to say like, oh, are they going to trade Draymond? Everything I've heard is they are not trading Draymond. They're just not going to happen. They're trying to win the championship and they're just going to try to ride this out. And, and unless something drastic happens, like the team just falls apart, they're terrible. Like Draymond's going to be on the team all season. Uh, they're trying to win. But my question to you is, as a coach and thinking about this and seeing this, and, and as, as a coach who dealt with not incidents maybe like this, but team-wide tensions and rivalries, I'm sure you've talked to lots of people about this in the wake of the punch video. Like, what are you actually worried about in terms of if there is negativity and tension, how would it manifest itself in our ability to win games? And what am I worried about to sort of limit those effects on our just focus on our ability to win games yeah see i 
as bad as the incident was, I don't think it'll have any negative impact on them at all. I, I think, you know, they have their two best players, Curry and Thompson, are absolute rays of sunshine. Um, Jordan Poole just got paid. Wiggins, uh, he's, he's just a happy-go-lucky type. So I don't think it's going to have any negative impact. And plus, Green plays a game that's easy to play with. It's not like he's taking a lot of shots. He's a giver on the floor. Like, you know, he's going to defend and he's going to play terrific help defense. And on offense, he's going to screen and he's going to pass. And so I think the notion that they're going to be in crisis, it, it, it's, it's not true. I think you have to say those things to make sure Green is aware of how badly he screwed up. But long-term impact, even short-term impact, I see as negligible. Um, you mentioned Draymond as a giver and the things he does. I, I'm asking everyone that I come across this now. There's this big, long continuum of Draymond Green thought. And on one end of the continuum is he's just lucky. that. And these are – I'm being facetious. These are extreme positions. He's just lucky to have landed – with the two greatest shooters of all time, one of whom is a once-in-a-ever off-ball movement player who happens to mesh perfectly with Draymond Green and amplify everything he does. And if you put him on a different team, he's just a guy. And at the other end of the continuum is Draymond Green is perhaps not quite an equal partner in driving winning with Steph Curry, but... As, as important as anybody else is the engine of that team. Where are you on that continuum? Well, I don't look at it as luck, right? I think a lot of uh, complementary players are impacted by their situations. Curry would have been great anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Like No question. Even Clay Thompson, to, to his game, he would have been – what he is now with the Warriors, he, he, he could have achieved that elsewhere. Complementary players, they are reliant on who they play with and who they're coached by and, um, you know, the timing of it all. Like, I don't think that's a negative. Um, and so, like you mentioned, Green will be on the team. Of course he will be because his value to the Warriors is far greater than to me he would have value – to another team in the in the quest of trying to put them over the top. So I think eventually they'll come to an agreement money-wise, um, you know, unless they think behavior-wise it's just not tolerable anymore. But I, 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 think, I think they're both fortunate. I think the Warriors are fortunate uh, that Green has a skill set that fits well with – their best players and it's not looking to be a guy who's a volume scorer and shooter. And I think he benefits greatly because if he was required to score more, it would be harder on I his did, career. It's interesting you mentioned the, the, what he wants because I, I, I threw this question at a GM the other day and he told me, 
don't underestimate the value in Draymond not wanting anything else, not wanting to score, not uh, accepting that, yeah, I'm going to average eight points a game. Like a lot of guys, even if they were gifted with his defense and his passing and his joy in those things, would still say, well, wait a second, I want to average 16 points a game. That's important to me. And him not being wired that way is a valuable thing that should be credited. And I hadn't really thought about it that way. And by the way, I'm with you. He's certainly, if, if you look at Steph, Clay, Poole, Wiggins, Draymond, he's certainly, Draymond, the most likely of those five, I think, to not be on the team in a year or two. Because I, I do believe all the reporting is accurate that the Warriors are not going to pay $500 million to form a team in the next couple of years. And there's just no way to not do that unless there's a major pay cut one way or another. And the easiest way to do that is to turn $30 million into $0 million. I would not write off Draymond Green being on the team next year, especially if they have a great season and he has a great season. And by the way, he was the front runner for defensive player of the year by a mile before he got injured last season. And there's all sorts of optionality that they've now built in for themselves. If they decide to keep Draymond on a show, maybe he takes a, a pay cut on a two plus one. I don't know. They can swallow that. Maybe Clay Thompson takes a pay cut because that's generally what happens as you age. And maybe the number's okay. Maybe they trade Poole. Maybe they trade Wiseman. Maybe they trade Wiggins. I'm just saying I wouldn't write it off. Um, well, but I, see, I, see, I agree with that. Um, I, I think people jumping to conclusions like, this is it. I, I think Draymond Green also probably recognizes this is my best shot to play well and be a significant player in this league. You know, you think back to when Curry was out, right? Um, it, it was a struggle for Green when Curry was out. What was that, two years ago? And then, you know, he ended up being out for the rest of the year too maybe. And I just think like sometimes um, – I, and I actually like that, that we're recognizing someone like Green who plays an integral role. You know, I, I look back on, you know, Horace Grant, right, and his run with the Bulls. If Green's going to go into the Hall of Fame, like, like, I think you can make a case for starting to recognize more of those guys in retrospect, like a Horace Grant, uh, like a Charles Oakley. Um, there, there are guys like, you know, Dan Marley, who, you know, like had a, you know, not on a championship team, but like played a significant role. Like I, I think now we're becoming more aware or media wise of giving these guys praise. Maybe it's because there's more statistics out there that we can, or we have relied on. I don't know, but you know, I think, I think there's, you know, like, Horace Grant's got to be sitting at home and say, what about me? I, I won championships. You know, I played a defensive player. I was a sh like a little bit of a 17-foot shooter. You know, now, you know, some people, they, they'll get into, like, who was better. I'm not trying to – I don't even care about that. I'm just saying I'm glad we're recognizing, you know, the third, fourth, fifth best player on a, on a really good team. But I don't think – I think we make a mistake when we try to make it a – a threesome and we try to group them like Steph Curry, his greatness drives the whole bus. That's the whole thing. And, and, and that's not diminishing Clay Thompson or 
Andrew Wiggins or Draymond Green. It's just that I think sometimes because Curry's so amenable to, you know, sharing the spotlight that we sometimes like he's still to me underestimated at times, like just how good he is. Well, it's it's funny because you just alluded to it before. Boy, remember how much the Warriors struggled when Draymond was playing and Steph wasn't. And the opposite has almost never been true, at least in on-off numbers. When Steph's on the floor and Draymond's off the floor, the Warriors remain awesome. And so that would lend itself to, well, that would lend itself to the sort of like Draymond's kind of lucky. He's a good player who got lucky and now he's considered a great player, evidence school of thought. Um, And it's easy to imagine an alternate reality. And I've been thinking about things like this. Like, what if the Warriors just decided eight years ago, we don't want to deal with Draymond Green. We're going to make Harrison Barnes our power forward. And we're going to find a rim-running center. You know, just pick a rim-running center. Not We're going to find Clint Capella. We're going to find a guy like that. And we're just going to run spread pick and roll with Steph Curry. That's going to be how we play. They would have been awesome. They also wouldn't have been the Warriors because they would have been a little bit more predictable. And Steph would have had to drive even more than he does and do a lot of burrowing into the defense. And who knows what wear and tear that would have put on him. And when you blitz him, Clint Capella in open space is not Draymond Green in open space. And the difference between Draymond Green and all the players you just named, with all due respect to all of them, and one GM even said to me earlier this week, a different GM, facetiously, facetiously, What's the difference between Draymond Green and Robert Ory? To, to your point about supporting players on championship teams. And he was being facetious. And the, the obvious difference is Draymond Green is the co-point guard of the Warriors. He's the leader in assists on the Warriors. His playmaking is otherworldly for a big man. And his combination of speed, getting out of screens, speed transitioning into drives and four-on-threes, speed reading the floor and making decisions is almost, if not actually unmatched among big men in the history of the NBA. And it's just, it, they, but they would have been awesome in that alternate reality I would describe. They just would have been different and, and maybe different isn't quite as good. They would have been worse defensively for sure without Draymond Green, less versatile. It's just well, interesting you know, stuff to think about. Really, you don't really know if they would have been lesser, like, overall like i think because it's all how the roster has to be constructed you know if you take out green you know you put in ori right well then maybe because of his shooting you can play another big and cover up you know in that way so but i i love the name of robert ori i like again starting to recognize more and more even though they played differently like Robert Oria was a terrific player and he was a, a he had an ability to like green different guys but like play well with really good players and not not a Draymond Green though not a four-time all-star defensive player of the year no, all no, NBA no, no. not it's not no, the no. same no it's it but yeah yeah that's and, and, and Draymond's it's not the same it's not the same did you say he was a four-time all-star Draymond Green is yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Um, now, part of that is because he's on a that. he's on a winning team. I mean, part of it is that winning yeah, no, is, that, is rewarded. I, like, I, I didn't realize four time All Star. Yeah, that's very that's very very good. And it's very hard to do. Uh, you know, being uh, you know a single digit score. It's just and, that's and just his, really hard to do. And his passing, 
we know he's shooting. He doesn't shoot anymore. His passing and speed are good enough that, to your point, despite the shooting limitations, the Warriors have been able to survive and thrive with him and Looney on the floor or him and Bogut on the floor, which defensively is just monstrous. And again, it all goes back to they can do that because they have the two greatest shooters warping the floor all over the place. All these things are intertwined. It's just fun to think about. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. So we're talking about the Warriors and you're you're optimistic that they will have no ill effects in their ability to win games from all this rigmarole. Uh, let's just go rapid fire season preview questions and we'll start right off the top. Jeff Van Gundy, who is your tentative? And everyone wants to hold you to these like they're in pen, and for now they are in pen. But who is your October 17th NBA Finals matchup prediction? Clippers, Boston. All right. I like it. Uh, They are two of my six teams that are in the absolute inner circle of title contenders. My pick is Clippers, Bucks. So why don't we start with the Clippers? Because the pushback I have received upon picking the Clippers is the following. Their model is big two and a really good cast of supporting guys. When that model has resulted in championships in the NBA, it's typically been because the big two are like two of the top ten guys in the NBA. And one of them is like a top five guy. Is that still Kawhi after all these injuries? Where is Paul George? And then who is the third best player on the Clippers? Who's the fourth best player on the Clippers? Are they just kind of fungible guys? Are they good enough to be on the court, three of them, with Kawhi and PG and beat the very best teams four times in seven games? And I'm saying this to someone who is picking the Clippers to make the finals, but I'm curious to hear your response to that pushback. Well, there's a lot of ifs with a lot of these picks, particularly guys coming off injury. If Kawhi Leonard is healthy, he is a top 10 player. No I've always 
I always felt that Paul George, um, again, because maybe it's personality or whatever it is, is underrated. I think he is a, a terrific player that has to do it in, in the biggest of circumstances. There's nothing holding him back from doing that, uh, talent-wise. And I think the ability uh, to have two guys like them uh, be so good defensively with their size and strength, it gives them a great uh, interchangeability that they can play uh, a lot of different lineups and combinations to try to give themselves a matchup advantage. I think you make a great point. I, I wouldn't even know right now who I would say their third best player is. I think they're going to try to do it with a lot of different guys. I think their depth is, you know, really, really good. I think that all sounds good until you start playing the games and stats are kept and minutes are, you know, everybody gets minutes in practice. No one cares about minutes in preseason games. This unselfish nature that the Clippers are saying that they have, uh, I go back to the greatest uh, coaching line there is. We'll see. Because they're going to be challenged. You know, it's easy to say I'll take less and then actually have to deal with it, you know. And so I'm, I'm really interested. But I really like their team, their depth. I think they have uh, a terrific uh, coach and a, a terrific uh, coaching staff. I think Ty Lue is outstanding. And so, uh, and I think they're going to be ultra aggressive. Like they have a bunch of guys, they can make moves if they'd like. It, it, they can make, you know, two for one trades or three for two trades. I and think they have, they have a future first they can trade now, which was not, has not been the case in the last yeah. couple of years. So there's a lot out there. And I, I really like them now. Could it all blow up? Sure. You know, injuries and, but if they're healthy or relatively healthy, they're going to have a darn good year. Yeah. I, I'm. I take. I. I don't know who the third best player is. I mean, I. I would probably say Norm Powell. I don't feel very strongly about it, and and I don't. I don't care really because, if I have two, elite players, and everyone else around them is good, is like a fourth to fifth starter on a good team. I got a bunch of those guys. I don't know how many of those guys they have. Fourth starter on a good team is a really good player. Um. And, and more to the point, they fit and complement each other in a way that sort of makes it a greater than the sum of its parts team defensively and offensively when they can switch and they have so much schematic versatility. I, I do worry about them getting off to a slow start given the injuries and the depth issues and sort of the rotation confusion that will be a natural part of their team. And the margin for error for any of these teams is very, very slim before you're all of a sudden in the play-in tournament. Um, I picked Milwaukee over Boston and Philly in the, and everyone else in, in the East. Um, you can make a case for a bunch of teams. I'm curious in both conferences who you thought the hardest about as, as an alternate pick. Like who were the last kind of cuts? Yeah. In the Western Conference, it's just – it's hard to say – you know, the Warriors aren't a hard cut because they have a unique way of playing offensively. They move more, pass more. Um, 
in this predominantly at this time of all pick and roll ISO out after it, you know, and so I just I love the idea that they have a different way of playing. Uh, so I would say the Warriors without question uh, in the Western Conference. And I like Philly. I like Philly a lot. And Milwaukee, too. I, I like Milwaukee. But I, I think Philly, uh, Harden, Embiid, Maxi. Uh, I really like that threesome. It, it's incredible. I'm with you on Philly. I think they have every I, – I, I've talked about them a lot. I don't want to belabor it. I think they have everything they need to win the championship if James Harden shows up in the biggest games. It is incredible how fast and a credit to their their players and their GM and front office. Six, what, however many months ago they lost to Miami in such dispiriting fashion with Harden vanishing and all that. It that it, it kind of and then Harden was entering free agency potentially and everything was sort of up in the air to some degree. It, when people started asking like, who's the next disgruntled star? to ask out some of the arrows were pointing not because of anything he said or done just logic to is it is it going to be Joel Embiid and now it's like six months later five months later the Sixers are loaded and everyone is like they're the chic pick to win the title and I compl- I'm not picking them because I just have trust issues with Harden in particular but I think they're they're awesome um a, a team you didn't mention that I want to make sure I ask you about is Denver um can De- does Denver have enough? And 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 given the the realities of building a defense around Nikola Jokic, I think he's an underrated defender. But you know he's a, he's a, a lumbering big guy who doesn't block shots. Not he's not lumbering anymore. He's pretty quick on his feet, but he doesn't block shots and he's slower than guards. That's for sure. Can they defend well enough to win it all, or are they a tier below to you? Well, I think. Michael Malone has covered up their defensive shortcomings about as well as you can. Um, You know, they don't play in the drop with Jokic very much because, you know, because of what you said, the drop is sort of centered around someone impacting, you know, the back, you know, the basket area. Well, and that's not his strength. And because of that, they have to do a lot of scrambling and, firing out and they have two guys coming back off injury and uh and it remains to be seen how they defend and then you know they've changed their team around a little bit um and i'm really interested to see how that pans out like you know i love monte morris i i do i i love i think he's a really good player um but do they have, you know, is Bones Highland, you know, does he give them maybe something different or, you know, so I, I just, I, I'm, I'm waiting to see how they deal with their roster changes. I'm really interested to see how it goes. They were in my inner, my six team inner hexagon, I guess is what it would be of contenders um, for the championship, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Denver, Clippers and I'm with you Warriors are are set up to be really really good and I know some of the projection systems are down on them because they're assuming a lot of minutes for their young guys their young guys look 
ready to me, including Wiseman, to, to play supporting roles. Everybody's Uh-oh. ready if you're playing with Curry. Like, everybody. Yeah. Like, you could name a hundred guys in this league that are ready if they had this, you know, all-time, all-time, all-time great, which he is. And so, yeah, I I, I actually like their – I don't really know about Wiseman because I haven't seen him enough in, in – but Kuminga, he had a good first year. I, I like Moody. I, they'll be fine. Pool's getting better. Wiggins is, is settling into, to, to like you said, a, a system that is unlike any other in the NBA and takes some time to sort of get the rhythms of. But I, I love that a Draymond Pool thing has turned into a mutual love fest about Curry because, you know, the whole, the whole basis of everything there is you have to put two guys on him in screening actions anywhere within 32 feet of the rim. And by the way, that could happen anytime in any place on the floor, regardless of whether he has the ball. And that bakes in this unpredictability into your offense that Draymond then amplifies because he's such a great playmaker and screener and handoff. It all goes together, but it all goes back to that to that reality. Um, all right, let's do another another rapid fire. It's not that rapid, just a semi-rapid fire question. Um, give me a couple of, let's say, good teams. Could be teams we've mentioned even already. Good teams, on paper, strong playoff teams, strong recent track record that you are worried about could be slipping into play-in or worse range. Well, I'm not worried about them necessarily being in play-in game. It's not even a worry. I I just, I need to see more of Trey Young and DeJounte Murray together in Atlanta um, before I project them being like, you know, a no brainer, you know, team. I, 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 I just think it's, it's, that's going to be, that's a harder transition to me for Murray because he's had the ball in his hand when he plays with young you know, you'd be foolish for Young to be playing off the ball because he's such a great uh, offensive talent as a passer. Um, he just he's a he's a brilliant player, and so that's the one in the Eastern Conference. I'm I'm really uh, interested to see, not in a negative way, but just like I want to watch it work. And I've always had great great respect for the job Nate McMillan does. I think he's if I had to list my underrated coaches, he'd be uh, right up at the top of the list. And then in the Western Conference, yeah, I am a little concerned about Phoenix. Not Again, not slipping into the play-in, but just I'm interested in the Jay Crowder situation. Uh, it's incredible that there is a Jay Crowder situation. Yeah, it's just, it's really I, incredible. I just don't understand why he's, even if you wanted to start Cam Johnson, like, Okay, it happens all the time where people don't get everything they want. He comes off the bench if that's what Monty Williams thinks is best. But to sit out and not participate and take away from your depth, uh, I, I just, I guess I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding how that benefits Crowder uh, if he does want to trade and how it benefits the Suns because to me, they're not. Uh, a deep team and yeah so i i just think he's a 
He's a good, hard-playing, grizzled type of guy. And I think his toughness is a great compliment to their best players. Yeah, I don't get it from anyone's perspective. So, so you don't you don't get to start. You don't get a contract extension, which I think he wanted and and was told we're not doing it. Um, okay, come be a twenty minute backup and sometimes thirty minutes. Like you're good enough that you're going to close some games on the right nights, the right matchups on a on a great team that you fit perfectly. And I loved I like Jay Crowder. I, I wrote a profile of him two years ago. I don't think it's a total coincidence that winning has seemed to follow him around. Like, he's the kind of player that every good team needs. So come be that player. And from the Suns' perspective, you got a lot of small guards. You don't have a lot of big wings and fours. Um, you you just you can't really afford to lose a good player for nothing. And player for player at the same position trades are really hard to make. Like, it's, it's like Jay Crowder for another good stretch four, three and D guy is like, well, why – like, if I have one of those, why am I trading them for Jay Crowder? I mean, I already have one. Um, yeah. And I love I love the Milwaukee guy. I mean, I know I'm reducing it to three guys, but like, you know, Butler, Matthews, Crowder, I think, you know, they're all varying levels of health and player at this moment. But like they they have a, a oh, the, Mar- the Marquette guys. Yeah. What did I say? Milwaukee. Yeah, we got, oh, Milwaukee yeah, Marquette guys. guys. I'm sorry. Um, I just love. I love the competitive spirit and the toughness, and it's really hard to find sometimes. So, um, yeah, I just don't – and I don't understand – I got to say, going this back to Durant's thing, like, he, I never thought Durant would ever sit out. Like, he may not get what he wanted, and but he's back. But I never thought like, Durant's going to hold out. He loves ball too much, and he has limited years. And I think Jay Crowder, the same thing. Why would you want to miss out on any games right now when, you know, your time is winding down? You, you, what do you have left in the NBA? You know, just a few years. You want to maximize them. And I think you maximize your ability to make money by winning and by playing well. And to me right now, they're forfeiting both. And I, I, I just don't get it. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. Let's go back to the Hawks because uh, we have breaking news as we're doing this podcast. A buzzer beater on extensions. DeAndre Hunter, four years, $95 million, according to Woj. Um, I, I don't there, – there may be bonuses or partials or something. I don't know. I haven't been able to read all the reporting. I obviously haven't been able to do anything. We're, we're podcasting. Um, I, that seems 
fine. I mean, DeAndre Hunter has has not been healthy, and every time he seems to be getting into a rhythm, um, something he gets injured, and and his jump shot goes up and down, and he's kind of been toggling between like off ball guy, catch and go guy, and like sometimes I get to do my Carmelo Anthony thing guy, and he hasn't really been good at either of them offensively, but the the uh, he's in my f- I have a play a column I write every year, coach called my five most intriguing players for the season. He's one of them. That comes out on Wednesday, so I'll save the thoughts for that. He's got a lot of ingredients that you would want, and in extensions you generally pay for ingredients and hope and upside, and so that's going to seem like a ton of money, and it does seem like a ton of money. I'm just this is off the rip, but that's what it that's what it costs for a, even a guy is sort of seemingly unproven. Um, so fine. Uh, but to your point about the Hawks, here's the reality in the East. These eight teams all think of themselves as like locks for the playoffs to some degree. And there's only six guys, teams who get locked in without earning your way in through the play-in. Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. I think we all agree they're in. Okay, those are the first three. Toronto, Brooklyn, whatever the hell that's going to be. Miami, just all they were was the number one seed, one shot from the finals last year. Cleveland and Atlanta, the new sexy teams. That's eight. Two of those teams are in the play-in. That's just math. That's just reality. I already did my tiers, and if you're asking me to pick which of those two go in the play-in, I pick Cleveland and Atlanta just because they're kind of less proven. They have more questions to answer, particularly defensively um, for the Hawks, but they could easily be the fourth seed. I just... I think Toronto is going to be really good. Miami, to me, has earned the benefit of the doubt of they, they come out and win more games than people are going to expect, and they're tough as And Brooklyn, I mean, I don't know, Coach. <laughs> I, just, I don't know what the hell to do to, with Brooklyn, but they have Kevin Durant, and they tend to win a lot of games when they have Kevin Durant. Yeah. I, I, I am worried about the Curry-Joe Harris uh, injuries right now, you know, um, to start the year, but uh, you know, I agree. Like, I think Miami's good. Like, I would put them up more so into your three that you said are locks. I would move them that way too. One of my favorite teams to watch is Toronto. Uh, I love Ananobi. I love Van Fleet. You know, Scott. Uh, you know, Barnes. I, I just like them. I just like watching them. And, you know, I think I would – I got them pretty much in, you know. But a lot can happen, obviously. But I think Miami definitely deserves that. And, you know, Atlanta, to me, defensively, particularly with Hunter's injuries, are up and down. Like, if he's not available, like, who do you trust to get wing stops? You know, it's not I mean, easy. Murray would be the other answer, and he's sort of more of a, a life point guard than than uh, a long and point guard, but not a guy you're going to, like, put on Jason Tatum or something. Like that. I mean, you could try, right. but um, that's the East. And, um, and below that, you've got, you know, I think Chicago, Knicks, Hornets, Wizards, Pistons, Magic. In the West, if I had to do the same thing, and say, okay, these are the eight teams that are going for six spots, or the eight teams that I think are kind of in that tier. I have fewer questions about them. 
We've already done Warriors, Clippers, Nuggets. Suns, I'm with you, despite all the drama, are still going to win a lot of games. That's four. Memphis, Minnesota, Dallas, Pelicans. That's eight. Two are in the play-in, and we didn't say the word Lakers yet. Are the Lakers in that group for you, too? Or is that so that we go up to nine? Are they equal or almost equal in stature to the Grizzlies, who won 50-whatever games last year, 56? Lucas team, Zion and CJ and Ingram, the revamped Wolves, or are the Lakers a step below that, hunting for ninth and hope for something better? Yeah, I think they're below. I think, you know, they are banking on the health of James and Davis, and not just health, but playing like big minutes in these games. Um, Listen, they're all NBA players. So they're all like exceptional in their own ways, right? But when you compare them to other teams, they don't have nearly the depth of talent as the teams you mentioned previously. Like they just don't. And I, I just think like their roster, like I, I thought Frank Vogel did an unbelievable job with them over three years and Darvin Ham to be able to come in in your first head coaching job. And, and it sounds great. Like I get to coach LeBron James, who's to me had the best NBA career of anyone ever. And then Anthony Davis guy, it sounds like we're gonna, like, we got those two guys. We, we gotta like, we're going to win big. But when you look at the other teams they're competing against, and listen, the good part for all those Western Conference teams, right? Oklahoma City, Houston, San Antonio, and I'm missing one more. I'm not Utah. Utah, right? They're not, they're not really – they want to improve. They want to win enough to be respectful, respectable, but they don't want to win, right? So if you're those teams, the, the, the teams that are trying to win – uh, and get in the playoffs and make the play in, you've got, what, 16 great opportunities to boost your record. Like, you better to inflate not, your record. You better not blow them. I think that's no. part of that's one of the fun subplots of, of these races being so crowded and those teams being so intentionally disadvantaged. Um, we saw the Lakers season unravel last year when they lost twice to the Thunder in the first 15 games of the season, both times I believe they blew a 20-point lead. Like, those games are big. you got to win those games. you got to think twice about, like, oh, maybe tonight's a night to sit Kawhi and PG. we got the Jazz in town. Like, you go back, you go 2-2 two and two against Utah, and you're 7th in the West. Like, you're going to have some regrets about that. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think also having those teams early in the year – where there's nobody beaten down by losing. Um, they're excited. And really, from a coaching perspective and a playing perspective, you're not thinking yet we're trying to, you know, maybe not give ourselves the best chance to win. That's a front office thing who structured your roster like that. But you yourself as a player, you're getting opportunities that maybe you wouldn't have got if you were on a, you know, a really good team. So, um yeah, dealing with the enthusiasm of young talent uh, with low expectations is dangerous to me early in the season. Well, and no one is is 
fake injured yet at, at that point. Everyone is, is available and, and playing. Um, just on the Lakers, I mean, I don't know what you think. I just don't think the Westbrook thing is salvageable. I just don't see any way that it works it, that's realistic. They clearly have decided we're not trading these two picks for the Pacers stuff, the Jazz stuff. And maybe there's hope somewhere down the line. The Wizards stink and Brad Beal becomes available. The Blazers stink and Damian Lillard becomes available. But that's all ifs, ifs, ifs down the line. Those two teams have signaled no desire, particularly the Blazers, to take any steps back. I, do you, I, I just don't, I don't see how Russ improves this team. I don't see how it works. I just, I think it's a, a sunk cost. I don't know what you think. Yeah, Listen, sometimes things just don't work or and things run their course. It just it happens. And so um, I, I think, you know, Darvin Ham has like it's a hard decision. You know, it only got five what they brought him off the bench for five minutes in the last preseason game. That's a hard thing to do. Like not all t- not all great NBA players age as gracefully as maybe David Robinson did in handing it to Tim Duncan or Tim Duncan did to hand more responsibility to, you know, Parker and Ginobili. It it doesn't always go like that. So um, if he's there to me, he's, he's going to be a starter. If he's a starter, you know, you want the ball in James's hands a lot because it's easy to say like, we want Russ to be Russ or you know, that, to me, that doesn't even mean anything. That's just cliche talk, you know, that we all have to throw out when you're on a team where, you know, the parts don't necessarily fit. It's, it's hard to, it's hard for Westbrook to be who he is without the ball. And the Lakers would not be who they are if LeBron James doesn't have the ball a lot. And so, I just thought it was uh, way back when they made the trade. I didn't understand from a fit standpoint. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I just think, like, it, some things are bad fits. And it's unfortunate. It happens. Um, I, I I don't know how they're going to get out of it. But I was thinking about this. Everybody's saying, like, the Indiana stuff. And – I wouldn't make that trade either if I was the Lakers. I, I would be looking for lower cost players. You know, if I was a if I was the Lakers, you know who I would be targeting as my center? Billy Hernan Gomez. I think Billy Hernan Gomez is a starting center in this league. This is a this is the most unexpected Jeff Van Gundy take in the history of Jeff Van Gundy. I if you had told me you have 250 guesses. What player is going to come up in a, in an extended and out of nowhere? I would not have gotten to Willie Hernan Gomez, MVP uh, of Eurobasket. I I think he is. When you look at him, he now he's got some defensive challenges, right? But he can rebound, he can pass, and he can finish. Like, and he's the third center of New Orleans. So what I'm saying is, I think you have to try to find guys like him and you know what else he has he has a joy to him he's not bogged down with the just the you know like 
an attitude of just, I don't know, moroseness. And I think in L.A., with expectations and, you know, a lot of strong personalities, you need some just happy-go-lucky but very, very capable players. And so for for me, I don't blame uh, the Lakers for not trading, you know, multiple first-rounders for, you know, the Indiana players. But I do think they have to try to upgrade the roster. And maybe it's just, listen, let Russ go and and find a team that fits him best, and we'll move on, and we'll be trying to find, you know, our way to, you know, finding maybe undervalued guys that can surround James and Davis, you know, well. I hope there's a good end for everybody in this. I hope there's a good end for James that he's playing in, on a playoff team in the last couple of years of his uh, career. And I hope there's a good finish out there for Westbrook as well. Maybe it's the Lakers. Maybe Darvin Ham has magic up his sleeve to make it fit better. Um, but if not, I hope he can find contentment in his last few years in the league as well. I, I love everything about what just happened. Um, the the entire infatuation with all the big names and the two unprotected picks. The best move they made this summer was Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly is exactly the kind of player you're talking about on a, on a more as, as well-known and more accomplished level than Willie Hernan Gomez in the NBA at least. Taylor Horton Tucker and whatever else they traded. That was a great trade. It's exactly what they need. I'm giving it 72 hours. I think Polinka, someone with the Lakers is going to listen to this. And Polinka is going to call and be like, two second-round picks for Willie Hernan Gomez. And the Pelicans are going to do it. And it just they, – I, I, I just – I love it, Coach. I did well, not expect any of this. When you think about back to Zubats when he was with the Lakers, right? When they traded uh, him for Mike Muscala. Right. And I, I don't – I still, like – don't understand but it's you know listen it is it's hard. A top, it, it's a top five most inexplicable trade of the last 10 years right yes and Zubats is exactly the type of starting center they need you don't need somebody you're going to play 35 minutes you need somebody that you're going to play to start both halves and maybe he finishes some and maybe he plays 24 to 26 or maybe even less but anyway i just i think you have to try to find guys that are out there um that the cost the benefit to you is better than the than the cost would be and i i I never thought i always thought the lakers would be better served just if if they don't think it's feasible and westbrook doesn't think it's feasible there anymore just to go the buyout route um versus the trade route um, give me a couple surprise teams, one or two surprise teams, teams that are not mentioned in the playoff race much, teams that you think are going to punch above their weight a little bit. I'll tell you, if if Oklahoma City, oh my God, if they if they want to win, and Sam Presti like doesn't 
you know, what, like what, I, I don't even know what the term is anymore where they force them to be heard or send people away like Horford. And I don't even know what the term is. You, you guys got to come with a, up with a term for that. Um, forced illness, injury, you know, whatever it is, you know, you go back a couple of years when Horford was with them, they were playing pretty good. And then they forced Horford to go away for like the last three or four months of a season. I think it was. And the Celtics reaped the benefits of it because he came in like, I am fresh. Let's go. Yeah. And then, I, but I like their team. I, I am, I'm huge on Josh Giddy. I think uh, Chip England uh, is going to help him with his shooting. Uh, I saw him make a couple threes uh, in an exhibition game. Not that that means anything, but I like the t- I like their depth of talent. If Gilgis Alexander, you know, I don't know what his injury situation is like. I just I think I, they're interesting to watch. I think they're well coached. Yep. I think they have a lot of players that are pretty good. I think Giddy has a chance to be an all-star. Uh, and I like the enthusiasm they play with. Now, I know they're predicted. I, I don't know what Vegas has, Matt, like 20-some wins. But they're my team uh, that I'm, I'm watching to punch above their weight class. You know, I thought you were going to say Sacramento. Everyone's higher on Sacramento than their Vegas number. Detroit's got a lot of little buzz. Orlando, I like Orlando. I think Orlando is the t- I one of my one of my and now this is I mean I made this prediction two three weeks ago. Now it seems easy. I, I said at least one of Orlando and Detroit is going to finish above one or both of Charlotte and Washington. And now Charlotte's season is tail spinning before it even starts. And Washington, I just eh, is like the eh manifestation of eh. I think Orlando's got a chance to be solid this year. And you went Oklahoma City. And I got to tell you, Coach, if they had Holmgren this year, because I think he was going to come in and be a decent player right away. And that doesn't sound like much, but most rookies are not helpful players. I think he was going to be a helpful player. Gildress Alexander, Dort, Giddy is, if you're right about Giddy making a little bit of a jump this year, is three-fifths of the way to like a real NBA lineup. And if you put a couple functional bigs and they got a million rookies and young guys like – and they do seem to play really hard and win more games than they should. And I, I, I like that pick. I like that pick. Um, are you worried about the Bulls like everybody else is? Well, I thought they overachieved in the first half of last year. I think then, you know, the Ball-Caruso combination of injuries, you know, was devastating. Because I don't think their depth is, you know, good. Um, and so to me, um, I'm, and then you throw in Patrick Williams injury as well. I should have mentioned that as well. So to me, their chance to, to remain a playoff team is can Patrick Williams become, you know, can he make a big jump? Uh, because if they don't get a jump from there, you know, then Vucevic has to play, you know, out exceedingly good basketball. Um, but I think the more likely thing is, you know, Williams making a good jump. And then, you know, the Vucevic, you know, DeRozan, 
uh, you know, then, then they start having enough maybe talent and depth, but they're still thin. You know, you look down, like, how many, if they take them, you know, if, if Levine or DeRozan get, you know, are out, like, do they have enough offense to be able to sustain? And uh, I don't see it that way, but, you know, I, I thought they set expectations so high last year in the first half where they won so many close games and Billy Donovan did such a remarkable job, you know, getting DeRozan and Levine and Vucevic and they were playing, you know, defense. And I thought the Caruso signing was uh, terrific because you can never have enough, you know, he's big and he's tough and he's, he just knows how to fit, you know, um, and the Lakers, again, going back to the Lakers, why they didn't, you know, he wanted to be there. I think they misevaluated the importance of him. But I think he showed his importance with Chicago. And so, you know, I, I just think Chicago may be a little bit – the Eastern Conference is tough now. Good. Like, it's hard. And so, um, I just think Ball's injury – that's a rough one to overcome. Patrick Williams has to – he's got to be really good. Do you have an MVP pick? I know you hate awards, but do you have an MVP pick? Well, I, I would go with Doncic. I, I think Doncic is just – you know, when you put him in a group that I think it was closer to the play-in than it was to the locked-in. I'm putting him in the locked-in because I just think the guy is so great. And let, if he plays, you know, if he's injured, then I think they have some, you know, real issues. But um, I just think the guy is so great. And, yeah, I just uh, – I, I'm with so you. he's my MVP. People are a little – I think I've listened and read a lot – I think there's a, a, people are a little down on the Mavs because they lost Brunson, who was so into, integral to what they did. Nobody really trusts Christian Wood. I think people kind of forgot about Tim Hardaway Jr. since they went so far without him. And I, I get all that makes sense to me. They're, the gap between their first and second best player is just an is a Grand Canyon level chasm. Dinwiddie was his shooting there real after he was so bad in Washington. I just think Luca is so good, and if I can put shooting and defense around him, I don't really need to overthink that. I, I think he, if he plays seventy games, I think they're a forty-eight to fifty-two win team. I think he's that good. We didn't really talk much about like the Minnesota, Memphis, Dallas segment. Pelican segment of the West. Any any of those teams strike you? Are you higher or lower than what consensus seems to be on any of those teams? Because that's just that's that's just a mess a mess to in a good way. It's a nice mess. I just it's hard to order it. Well, I, I love you know like I love the the Mavericks because Doncic and I love the way they play. I thought Jason Kidd was so good. Like he didn't try to you know defense and high pick and roll. How about that? That's what we're doing right. And so. I, I love that. I thought Minnesota is so interesting to me. Um, you know, people are fretting about how they're going to, you know, how is Towns going to guard on the perimeter? And I, to me, he's going to guard as well on the perimeter as he did in the, in the paint, which is poorly. 
However, the difference is he's now got this guy back there that is the real deal, like defensively. Like this idea, the one thing I, I never understood is everyone, when Utah, um, and I think their failures were exaggerated, like they got beat in tough playoff series, you know, like, but this whole notion that Gobert got played off the floor. I couldn't disagree with that more. I thought Gobert over the last few years got so much better at guarding out on the perimeter uh, his own guy. But what to me got played off the floor was Gobert's guarding on the perimeter and they're just winding up on the other Utah Jazz guys and driving by them like at will. And then Gobert has to come and help. And now instead of it being a drop off, where Gobert could then react and try to contest, it's maybe Maxi Kleba standing at the three-point line. Well, there's no recovery. So is it Gobert getting played off the floor, or is it the other guys couldn't guard their man well enough so that he had to help and commit more? Anyway, I am fascinated to watch how Towns and Gobert and one of my most underrated players in the NBA, you know that same trade, the two seconds for Willie Hernan Gomez? I would give that to Nas Reed, too. Like, I would give that to Minnesota for Nas Reed. I, I'm in love with third centers now in the NBA. I think, this is... like, like Nas Reed to me, like, give me him. And then they had this other lefty. I did an exhibition game with them. They had some dude that was out there with a lefty. I forgot his name now. He looked good. He looked okay, too. Like, so Minnesota has cornered the market on centers, and they're all different. But I just, I think... I, I'm listen. I'm not sure where they can go, but I know Anthony Edwards is the real deal. Chris Finch is the real deal. Individually, like Gobert's great. Uh, Towns, what do you call himself, the greatest shooter or something like that? But I'm just so interested to see how that works, and truly, I'm interested to see can you finish with them in the last six minutes of really close games. And in particular, if they make it to the playoffs in a playoff series, I, I just can't wait to watch it. I, I co-sign everything you said about Gobert. Um, and, and to your last point, the issue was Utah's guys were turnstiles and Gobert's inability to punish smaller guys on offense, not defense. True. And, 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 but the one thing I would say about that is, when you become so early, and this this transition happened in the buzzle, bubble, like, you know, they went from, like, running a lot of stuff offensively to, to uh, Quinn, who's such an outstanding coach, encouraging early jump shots, and they wanted to hunt threes, and they cut down on, on the number of things they ran, and they have a ball-dominant guard. Yeah, like, I think Gobert, to me – became more unselfish, was willing to just screen, roll, stay out of the way. But if you want a guy to punish somebody down low, and I think you have to be able to, that has to be worked up. How do you score? Everybody does post work against guys of same size. But how do you go? How do you punish smaller guys who are given liberties by the officials um, to play outside the rules? Can you... Can you 
lower your body, you know, like, and, and, and post duck in and just shoot a little jump hook or would you be better served just turning and shooting a jump shot? Um, but you have to be able to punish that switch with variety. It can't just be the guard taking the big every time. So, and, and you have to have entry passers to get you the ball in, in position to, to uh, willing and accurate entry passers, which I don't think the Jazz always had handling the ball. And on, and on time, right? Like, it can't just be accurate. It's got to be, you know, the, the post game is got to be one of the most well-coordinated game, you know, sub games that you have because, you know, there's more contact allowed down there. The three second rule, there's more variety of, you know, fronting and three quarters and double teams. And so, yeah, I, anyway, I hope he's worked on that part because he's going to have room now. Because Towns, uh, with his three-point shooting, Anthony Edwards, uh, he's going to have opportunities down there. I just can't wait to see it. Yeah, I I can't wait to watch them. I think they're going to win a lot of regular season games. I have them locked in my top six non-play-in Western Conference teams. Um, And it's hard not to lock Memphis in there after everything they've accomplished and, and the spirit that they play with. There's just a lot of good teams. There's a few bad teams. There's a lot of good teams, and it just should be a really fun year. After the years where it just it was just Cleveland, Golden State, over and over and over again, and then the Durant Super Team. It's it's fun to have a year where you know five thirty eight did their projections, and I think there were eleven teams with a greater than five percent chance by their system, whatever it's worth, of winning the title. And there's usually like five or four or six or something. I think it's going to be an exciting year. It starts tomorrow. What's your first game, Coach? Uh, Memphis and New York, and then uh, Boston and Miami. That's the first week. Yeah, right off the bat, it's it's going to be you, Breen, and Mark for all three of those, for both those games. Uh, no, uh, Mike and I are doing uh, the first one. They don't put us all three on a lot of regular season games, unless they're Saturday night games, um, Christmas, you know that sort of thing. Um, but Mike and I, and uh, and then uh, Ryan Rucco and I down in uh, Miami. So. There you go. Well, it, it's going to be great to listen to you call games again. Uh, stay safe out there. Love your work. And uh, thanks, as usual, for spending a little time on this dinky little podcast. Jeff Van Gundy, thank you, sir. Take care.